Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Tuesday, March 15, 22, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. <clears throat> I was reviewing some old monologues and uh, eerily enough stumbled on one from 2012, March 15, 2012, exactly 10 years ago. And it seems what I was pointing out or worried about then has not only many analogs to today, but may indeed have set the template for what we are seeing with regard to the United States, her allies and the rest of the world. May I repeat some of it? If you prefer, think of it of how did we get here? I'll insert a few inter- intercalary comments along the way. What I wrote back then, and remember Barack Obama was the president, no commander-in-chief would verbally state he or she wants to preside over a number two, three, or four military. And anyone who believes our military powers should be weaker or weak simply does not understand the Constitution, which itself states our government is to provide for the common defense and secure the blessings of liberty. But it is curious that an entire political party, the party now in charge in Washington, D.C., hated and condemned the notion of making America great again. And yes, America strong again was part of the Republican tricolon. Why wouldn't you want your country to be made great or strong unless you view your country as not worthy of strength or greatness? Keep that in mind. But in some, if you are number two, three or four, you are defeatable. And in the world we live in or are about to live in, to be defeatable can very well mean to cease to exist. Our enemies do call for our death after all, not our enslavement, our death. So let us run down a few statements and policies that have come from President Obama and see what their effect has had, always with the following questions in mind. And remember, the current, vice pre- the current president was his vice president. The questions to keep in mind, does this serve to tell our enemies we are going to be stronger or weaker? Does this serve to tell our allies we are going to be stronger or weaker? Does this tell our citizens we are going to be stronger or weaker? And finally, most importantly, does this actually make us stronger or weaker? Working forward, in his first year of office, President Obama communicated to the world and at the U.N., so at home and abroad, that we had engaged in torture. And, of course, that we would no longer do so on his watch, even releasing memos showing the methods To say and admit this about your country is a terrible thing to do, especially, especially when he and everyone knows darn well that at a very minimum, whether waterboarding as we practice it constituted torture or not, was at a minimum a legally disputable question. And there was no benefit to publicly disclosing it and no particular clamor that we do so. While abroad... In his first year, President Obama said, quote, there have been times where America has shown arrogance and been dismissive, even derisive, close quote. To repeat, America was arrogant, dismissive and derisive. 
While in Latin America, he said America had not, quote, pursued and sustained engagement with our neighbors. He also said, quote, we have at times been disengaged and at times we sought to dictate our terms, close quote. Recall, too, that President Obama said the following when asked if he believed in American exceptionalism. He said, I believe in American exceptionalism, just as I suspect that the Brits believe in British exceptionalism and the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. That's a way of saying no. That's merely relativism, the opposite of exceptionalism. President Obama, still in his first year, gave a speech in Washington, D.C., where he said, quote, Unfortunately, faced with an uncertain threat, our government made a series of hasty decisions. I also believe that all too often our government made decisions based on fear rather than foresight, that all too often our government trimmed facts and evidence to fit ideological predispositions, close quote. Separately, President Barack Obama said in a speech at the National Archives, quote, there is no question that Guantanamo set back the moral authority that is America's strongest currency in the world, close quote. Note he's talking about our country here. Note, too, the loudest complaints about Guantanamo came from the fever swamps of the terrorist media outlets as a tool of propaganda against us. Note also There was no Guantanamo when Muslim terrorists attacked us in 1993 at the first World Trade Center bombing, in 1996, the Kobar Towers, in 1998, the African embassies, in 2000, the USS Cole, or on September 11th, 2001, or for that matter, in Lebanon in 1983. Was our moral authority high when they were killing us? Another question before I continue on, what other world or non-world leader apologizes for or rather indicts his own country like this? The president who said all this had a vice president who is now our president. Now let us turn to actions towards allies. Barack Obama as president had this record in his first year in office. Yanking missile defense installments from our allies, the Czech Republic and Poland, turning away a meeting with the Dalai Lama in deference and appeasement to the Chinese, stiffing Israeli Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and lecturing him on what Israel's borders should be, imposing a travel tax on Canadians, siding with the Hugo Chavez ally in Honduras, telling the world our longtime ally in Egypt, Hosni Mubarak, had to go, Telling the Iranian dissidents in Iran, a sworn enemy of ours, in 2009 we would not meddle on their behalf the same year he sent a greeting, a New Year's message, to the Iranian leadership and put the Iranian people and the Iranian leaders on the same moral plane and in the same moral position. Secretary of State then, one Hillary Clinton, sent a memo to all U.S. embassies across the world to offer hot dogs to Iranian officials on the 4th of July in an effort to show propitiation. And looking back, I wrote and said this. Now, on all this, there's a lot I didn't say and a lot more examples I could go into. But suffice to ask for now, is America stronger or weaker because of these statements, actions and policies? And if weaker, do we not want to ask our fellow countrymen and countrywomen this simple question? Why would our president do this? Is this not evidence that demands a verdict? And this gets me into the second part of our topic. We will explore more how to talk to Democrats and independents about the election. 
First, I think we must do so with what a friend calls intuitive empathy. What does that mean? Intuitive means instinctive or something based on feelings rather than reason. Empathy means to share feelings out of concern. So what we are asking for here is that we speak to our fellow countrymen with a sincere sharing of deep concern about our country, not their feelings, our country. So for size, try a fact or series of facts that concern you and should concern others and follow them up or them up with a question such as I posed earlier. Why would our president do this? Here's an example. You can come up with your own or think about more. The first actions this president, Joe Biden, took was to take down the 1776 report, which was a report answering the 1619 project with good and better American history. Why would our president do this? Another initial action was to ban oil explorations and kill off nascent energy pipelines. Why would our president do this? Another was to abandon our allies on the ground and precipitously yank our positions from Afghanistan, leading to over a dozen American deaths in the process. Why would our president do this? This president has tried to reengage financial and strategic talks with Iran, whose leaders chant death to America when they open their parliamentary meetings. Even after they just bombed an outpost of ours in Erbil, Iraq, the president of the United States is still trying to do this. Why would he try to do this? He has tried to isolate Russia on one hand, but work with them on many others, including propitiation towards Iran, all the while saying Putin won't know what hit him, but not flexing maximum financial pressure on him for invading a sovereign country. Why would our president do this? Perhaps these are the kinds of questions that can lead to discussions and political conversions. The point, intuitive empathy in the form of fact-based questions, because we a Republican form of government or a democracy, have to hold our leaders accountable. That is the point of an election. It's an accountability moment. And if they are making us weaker, our leaders, economically weaker, strategically weaker, morally weaker, then accountability cannot be put at a discount. Indeed, it must be our very first duty as citizens. There is a lot of evidence, and it demands a lot of verdicts. And while we're at it, we might ask if there will be accountability for many other things like misleading, misdirecting, and misstating facts and science-based medical programmatics and policies regarding COVID. One of the many things that could be the story of the year I should like to re-up because it's long gone, lost, forgotten, memory hold. Economists at Johns Hopkins carried out a meta-analysis and found that the COVID restrictions imposed in 2020, including stay-at-home orders, compulsory masks, and social distancing only reduced COVID mortality by two-tenths of a percent. They warned that lockdowns caused enormous economic and social costs and concluded that they were ill-founded and should be rejected as pandemic policy instruments going forward. To repeat, the study found that lockdowns imposed in many U.S. cities in the spring of 2020 led to a reduction of COVID deaths by two-tenths of a percent. While this meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted, the researchers wrote. Quote, in consequence, lockdown policies, ill-founded and should be rejected. We find little to no evidence that mandated lockdowns in Europe and the United States had a noticeable effect on COVID mortality rates, the researchers wrote. 
the researchers concluded that limited gatherings may have actually increased COVID-19 mortality. Quote, shelter-in-place orders may isolate an infected person at home with his or her family, where he or she risks infecting family members with a higher viral load, causing more severe illness, the researchers wrote. But often, lockdowns have limited people's access to safe outdoor places such as beaches, parks, zoos, or included outdoor mask mandates or strict outdoor gathering restrictions, pushing people to meet at less safe indoor places. The researchers also examined studies that focused on specific lockdown measures and found that the only intervention that reduced COVID-19 mortality was the closure of non-essential businesses, which reduced mortality perhaps by 10 percent. But this effect was likely driven by simply closing bars. Researchers also pointed out unintended consequences of lockdowns such as rising unemployment, reduced education, an increase in domestic violence incidents, and surging drug use overdoses. From 2020-2021, the U.S. recorded over 100,000 drug overdoses. That resulted in death, a nearly 30% increase from the deaths recorded from drug overdoses in the previous 12-month period, according to CDC data. A study from the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice last year found that domestic violence incidents increased nearly 10% in the U.S. after lockdown orders were issued. About 97% of U.S. teachers said their students have experienced learning loss during the coronavirus pandemic, according to a Horace Mann survey last year. The unemployment rate peaked nationwide at nearly 15 percent in 2020, but declined to 3.9 percent in December, which is still slightly higher than the 3.5 percent rate it was in February of 2020. Quote, these costs to society must be compared to the benefits of lockdowns, which our meta-analysis has shown are marginal at best, close quote, saith the researchers at Johns Hopkins University. Such a standard benefit-cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion. Lockdowns should be rejected out of hand. That was what the Johns Hopkins concluded, uh, a school concluded in their study. A question. Evidence demands a judgment. What will the American people's judgment be, and how will we get them to decide? Of course, the evidence needs to be admitted to the court of public opinion for the jury to hear it, and that, too is our task. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Do you guys uh, know who Susan Glasser is? Uh, I'm hoping no is the answer. She writes for The New Yorker. She is uh, CNN's global affairs analyst kind of the role Christiana Amanpour used to have. And she's also married to perhaps one of the most established or elite reporters, maybe in the world, Peter Baker of the New York Times. Hold that in abeyance for a moment. John Roberts, many of you may know of, reports for Fox News, tweeted out earlier this morning, horrible news to report. Fox cameraman Pierre Zakrzynski was killed in the same attack that wounded correspondent Benjamin Hall. I worked with Pierre many times around the world. He was an absolute treasure. Sending our most heartfelt prayers to Pierre's wife and family. 
Now, you read that from a from John Roberts, a Fox News senior correspondent, and you can have, if you're normal, one reaction, and if you're not normal, you can have, ideally, a second reaction. If you're highly abnormal, you go the third route. The normal reaction is responding with something like sending thoughts and prayers or, yes, horrible news, something like that, something sympathetic to what John Roberts says. That's the normal reaction. There is a second normal reaction if you have mixed feelings about Fox News, I suppose, which is to say and do nothing. Let it sit. Don't reply at all. I mean, it would be nice if you sent a thought sent a thought or a prayer, you know, in your own mind or whatever. That would be the nice thing to do. But if for some reason you can't bring yourself to do this because it was a Fox News employee and you can't stand Fox, the best thing to do is nothing. Nothing. Now, if you're highly abnormal, the third route is to go on the attack against this tweet and this network, Fox. That's exactly what Susan Glasser of CNN did. It's exactly what Susan Glasser of The New Yorker did. That's exactly what Susan Glasser, the wife of Peter Baker at The New York Times, did. So John Roberts tweets, Horrible news to report. Fox cameraman Pierre Zarkazewski was killed in the same attack that wounded correspondent Benjamin Hall. I worked with Pierre many times around the world. He was an absolute treasure, sending our most heartfelt prayers to Pierre's wife and family. What is Susan Glasser, right? Quote, what a tragedy. A cameraman died covering the war for a TV network that airs a pro-Putin propagandist as its top-rated primetime host. Well, she's talking about Tucker Carlson. I don't know that he's, and in fact, I think he isn't a pro-Putin propagandist. But why the hell would you write that? Why would you make sarcastic what John Roberts wrote as if, the death of Pierre Zarkazowski and the wounding of Benjamin Hall is Tucker Carlson's fault, and Fox News should be embarrassed to have Tucker Carlson because these deaths are on Fox's hands somehow. That wasn't all Susan said. She wrote a second tweet saying, Ukrainian and foreigners, foreign fighters, have been, doing, have been risking their lives to show us the horror of the war makes the years of lies and propaganda so much harder to take. There are truly deadly consequences. Putting President Trump on par with Russian aggression. Where did President Trump engage in any of the kind of behavior Vladimir Putin did? This is the trick. This is the intellectual and elite trick of relativism and blaming America first. Hating America first. Comparing us and putting us on the same moral plane as our enemies. It's sick and it's disgusting, and people like Susan Glasher should be ashamed of themselves, but CNN should be more ashamed for having her on the payroll. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 34 past the hour. We do our culture and economy update. We do it with John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He has his own radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. And to reach John and to learn more about Grand Canyon Planning Associates, his website, grandcanyonplanning.com, grandcanyonplanning.com. 
com. Happy Tuesday, John. Good afternoon, Seth. How are you, man? Fantastic. Thank Good. you so much. Good. You're, you're, you're welcome. I want to talk to you about something that seems to come up every five years or so, if I might, but uh, not regularly and seemingly not in a while, mm-hmm. which is um, has to do with Social Security. It has to do with retirement, Social Security reform. And one of the things that keeps coming up is, do we need to raise the retirement age? Mm. I'm looking at a study from Think Advisor, I think is the story, but it's really from the American Academy of Actuaries right. that you found interesting, as did I. Can you run us through it? Yeah, each year uh, there's a Social Security Trustees Report, uh, which looks at the solvency and uh, – potential changes that could occur. And in 2021, the Social Security Trustees Report noted that, they, and it's really called the Old Age Trust Fund, is the Social okay. Security Trust Fund, but was uh, on track to run out of money by 2033. Okay. So not too many years from now, right? Another mm-hmm. decade or so. Mm-hmm. And at that point, benefits would be cut roughly 25%. So for those out there who are receiving benefits, uh, it's very possible that your benefit would be cut by 25%. Uh, but in order to look at ways to eliminate that, there's there's been some discussion about how that can can uh, change, right? And one of the ways was, as you just mentioned, raising the age. And what we've been seeing that the full retirement age uh, for individuals, depending on uh, your age, uh, is changing on a regular basis. Each year, that's going up by three months. And if we look, for example. Uh, in uh, currently right now, 62 is the earliest that you can collect Social Security. And for many, we're finding that their uh, full retirement age is 67, okay. as an example, right? Okay. Yeah. But each year as that is progressing and depending on when you were born, yours may be 67 and three months, as an example, or right. 67 and six months. And the all the way you can defer until the age of 70, but there's talk about maybe raising that as well, where you'd be able to defer even longer. And this is all in an effort to try to minimize the stress that's being put on uh, the Social Security system. There are many people who have retired early, Seth, obviously, because of COVID. And so this is another concern. But one of the interesting um, uh, parts of this study that I saw, for example, it says in 1995, 52% were electing benefits at the age of 62, which is the earliest you could take them and only 5% electing them thereafter their normal retirement age. However, here we uh, take it many years later, 25 years later, 2019, only 27%. So about half uh, of the people were electing benefits at the age of 62, while 16% claimed it after their full retirement age. So what that's telling us is that uh, people are waiting longer to collect Social Security, and that's been helping the system a little bit. Uh, and part of that reason might be because hey, people are living longer. They expect that they're going to be living longer, so they want to maybe work a little bit longer. And a lot longer. I mean, this is an mm-hmm. important point, right? Yeah. A lot. I mean, this is a really interesting drag on the system. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. think about it, the report, I, if I'm working off memory, John, yeah. but if I read it right, something like the expect life expectancy of a 65-year-old male in 1970 you know, got you to your late night. Not late seventies, yes. but 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 today it gets mm-hmm. you into your eighties. Yes, correct. That's a that's a drag. I, it's a weird sentence to say, but you you get you take my point. It's a drag on the system. On the system, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because people are living longer. Right. So once they elect, a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, once they lot. elect to collect, yeah. they're going to be collecting for many years longer than what the uh, the fund expected. Right. And so that, again, is putting more stress on the system. So a lot of uh, factors are coming into play here. And I would just suggest for those out there who are considering, because there's a lot of uh, thought that goes into when should I collect my Social Security. And those are things that we talk with our clients about every day when we're talking about creating some type of a plan, a long-term income plan uh, for retirement. Right? We want to make sure that we have uh, enough money so that we don't run out of money before we run out of time, as I say. And that is uh, a big part of the plan is is how to structure that Social Security benefit for you and your spouse both. Nicely done, John. You Nicely bet. done. Let's We need to get back into this discussion and debate of Social Security reform. Mm-hmm. It's one of these things that has a huge drag on our budget and, 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 and uh, deficit and debt. And it's a financial calamity in the offing, so we need to really work on this a lot more. I'm glad you flagged it for me. Yep, today. it's a little taboo, though, yeah. for, for politicians uh, sure. to talk about. Yeah, you know? I know, I know, <laughs> I know. All right, Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, and you can request an appointment to see me right there. Thanks, Thanks John. Bye bye. Parking around the lake when there was not another car in sight. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Did you eat your veggies today? And if so, did you get the right blend? Did you get everything you wanted in them? Did you get servings of 15 vegetables, cauliflower, onions, yams, zucchini, shiitake, mushrooms, cayenne peppers, celery, broccoli, garlic, and more, spinach? You do with Balance of Nature, and you get the fruits as well. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies. I take them every day. Day. The fruits and veggies are made from fresh, whole produce through their advanced cold vacuum process. The vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients are preserved so you can get the vital nutrition in each capsule. There is nothing added. There are no added sugars or anything else. All it is is fruits and vegetables. You take them once a day and you're ready to go. You have a little lull or a little lag in your day or night, take more if you want. Get a little more boost of energy the natural way through fruits and veggies. Of course you can. Because you can't overdose on fruits and veggies. Balanceofnature.com. Check out their fruits and veggies. I've been taking them for three years. They have been keeping me at the top of my game and well for those three years. And when you do at balanceofnature.com, make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Discount code BALANCE for the best deal. Balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies. There's Rick in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Happy Tuesday. Well, thank you very much, Seth. And happy Tuesday to you also. Thank you, sir. Always good to talk to you. Thanks. It's a, a pleasure, and I appreciate it. You know, I enjoy listening so much to you, uh, Seth, because you have such a voluminous vocabulary. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I needed that. Thanks. I've had a day, Rick. I've had a day. I needed that. Have you? I could oh, actually good. use your counsel. Maybe we'll do it me, later. Go ahead. Me, me too. I always, right. uh, you know, after I called the other uh, last week, you know, I, man, I was, I, I, honestly, I was down <laughs> yeah oh really i hope it wasn't because it, of me no 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 it was okay. not because I, I i called about you know to say that i didn't i thought the 
Republicans and conservatives yeah. were going to get wiped out. Oh, 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 yes, right. That right. whole thing. Well, you kind of came in with, yeah, I mean, you didn't walk in the door bringing, you know, a lot of presents there. You I, came in with hot coals and, you know, I a little know, brimstone. I know. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> Calling with a heavy yeah, heart. Yeah, today. yeah, that's all right. So, we can do that okay. too. But Go you helped you help to, you know, you helped to buoy me a little all right, bit. Good. So anyway, good. so I called today, but I wanted to start off with that bit of the frivolity because sure. sometimes it helps me to. So uh, getting to the serious point. Yes, sir. Uh, really a terrific opening, and your monologues are always just uh, super, uh, Seth. Uh, and uh, I, I was thinking, uh, as I was listening to what you were sharing, I believe it was Viktor Frankl who first wrote when he was in a concentration camp in Germany, there are only, there is only, there there are only two races of people, the decent and the indecent. That's right. And your, uh, your, your uh, commentary about the response to uh, the death of that journalist, yeah. I cannot think of a better illustration of that principle. Yeah, good point. You good had point. the decent yeah. who said our thoughts and prayers go out to you. Yeah. You have the decent who don't say anything right. if if you know you just can't abide box or whatever. You just don't say anything. And then you've got the indecent yep. who are represented by that deplorable uh I don't even know what to. Well, you know, call them indecent. I mean, indecency breeds indecency, that's right? It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. That's okay. it. You're. You're right. You're right, brother. Uh, it's just. It's just so sad. It's so sad to see these, uh, the depths to which the left goes, and. Their politics is so important. Their politics is so important to them. It's their religion. It is so important to them. Yeah. That anything that violates their religious precept. They've now elevated it to a religion, maybe a cult, yes. but certainly a form of religion. That's Anything right. that violates that, they are going to strike out as if it's before the Reformation or as if it's some kind of necessary jihad. That's how they treat it. Yeah. That they treat a violation of their religious code or precept as war. So yes. when Fox News laments the death of one of their journalists in a war zone— why is it that the global correspondent at CNN thinks that that's an opportunity to condemn Fox, yeah. not Putin? Yeah. Or, or, or to right. say anything at all, as you say, or to say anything at all. I mean, right. Rick, I, um, it, it, Twitter allows you to do this. It's all done on Twitter. Twitter allows you to do what I'm about to say. You may have heard me say it on, before. Whenever you feel like you know, getting involved in an argument or a discussion or adding something in – uh -huh. I always I always counsel to run run a three part test. The tripartite test is: Does something need to be said? Does something need to be said now? And does it need to be said by me? Yeah. A no in any of those things should stop you from writing. And Twitter allows you to because you know it's not live radio and it's not you know uh, a, 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 a person to person uh, con uh, conversation or right. interaction that takes place in real time. You have a moment to chew on what you're going to do on Twitter. Yes. And she yes. failed all of those three and went full steam ahead. Yeah, and and it's so it's so sad that the 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 hypocrisy of their indecency is is just 
unbelievable. I was thinking about this. You know, I've seen several stories on Brittany Griner being mm-hmm. arrested mm-hmm. in Russia mm-hmm. and the terrible things that are happening with her. Mm-hmm. What if some conservative or Republican or what, or you know, somebody that didn't like uh, the yeah. WNBA or whatever went on Twitter or what or wrote a, a op-ed? Oh man, you know, it's she only getting what she deserves, and she yep. ought to get a full yep. twenty years yep. to life of yep. blah blah blah. You right. know, and all that. I mean, that would be totally indecent, and yet this is the kind of thing yeah. that the left regularly does. And I, I was thinking, you know, I started out saying what a voluminous vo- vocabulary you have, which you do, and it's terrific. But I was thinking, as you were talking about those things, you know, there really are no words to describe Yeah, we do run out of it. You're right. No, you're right about it. We, you're right are. about that. We need a new moral dictionary of sorts, or just yeah. a new dictionary. And maybe even a new dictionary that helps us understand what the word indecent and decent is, because it's obviously falling on deaf ears uh, with the left. My definition of decency is not theirs. You're right about Viktor Frankl. I'm going to hack with it. I'll give you the exact passage. We can pick it up if you want on the other side. But he said there are two races of men in the world, but only these two. Interesting, only these two. The race of the decent man and the race of the indecent man. Both are found everywhere. They penetrate into all groups of society. No group consists entirely of decent or indecent people. In this sense, no group is of pure race, and therefore one occasionally found a decent fellow among the camp guards. Life in a concentration camp tore open the human soul and exposed its depths. It is surprising that in those depths we again found only human qualities which in their very nature were a mixture of good and evil. The rift dividing good from evil which goes through all human beings, reaches into the lowest depths and becomes apparent even on the bottom of the abyss. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Rick in Phoenix was calling about uh, a highly indecent thing the global affairs correspondent at CNN said about uh, a Fox uh, cameraman who passed away and another one who was injured blaming Fox. Rick, the point I wanted to make with you is this. It's an odd thing, but you see it in almost every um, entanglement or engagement uh, involving war. It's a very odd thing that seems to run through our culture, and it needs to be tamped down. It needs to be suppressed. It needs to be uh, crushed, quite frankly, which is this odd tendency to blame the United States for something rather than the actual villain, rather than the actual responsibility. We have seen this in every engagement. You're even hearing whiffs of it here now um, uh, on the far reaches of our left and right in this country, talking about, well, why? Can't, how do you condemn Putin for X, Y, and Z when the U.S. has done A, B, and C? Uh, there is no need. There is no need for the moral equivalence with the United States, especially when you consider what the ends of the prosecution of these wars were desired, were meant for, were, were what the telos, what the what the what the point of the war was. There is no need to reduce America's moral stature in the world by comparing it to the worst of the tyrants and dictators. Typically, you find this on the left. Typically, there is an unfortunate part of the right that is joined in on this. An unfortunate small part, I want to emphasize, but you do see this happening in almost every foreign entanglement, and it's awful. It's awful when the United States is not the oppressor, is not the aggressor, when it is not the enemy, don't make it one. Don't make it one. It's a moral crime 
when an American makes it one. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%, uh, Seth. It, it is, uh, it, it's, you know, the old saying, shooting oneself in the foot. And that's essentially what they are doing, is wounding ourselves to our own detriment for whatever reason. And that's that's the thing that, that gets me. Why, why would you... Why would you want to do such a thing? Well, you know, it's a weird thing. Why would you want to? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, why would you want to? I, I mean, I guess if you are a cultist, uh, you have a distorted worldview and a distorted right. view of reality. That's one thing. Yeah. But, you know, the notion of self-hatred uh, isn't only about the individual because, you know, there's an old line. People want to fix society and not touch themselves. They have that works. That works on the other side. That obverse works, too. They think they're fine and they get their kicks, their joy, their moral enrichment from tearing down their own society. This is a theme that runs heavily through Marxism. Uh, in America, it's run. It's a theme that runs heavily through Marxism anywhere. It's an unhealthy thing we're noticing more and more here. Um, but you know, I was talking about the Quinnipiac poll last week that showed a majority of Democrats would not fight for this country if it were invaded. A majority of Democrats said they would not fight for this country if it were invaded. In fact, they said they would flee. That should not be surprising, given everything they say about this country. If you take them seriously. They live in something worse than Russia right now. Hey, Rick, God bless you, sir. We'll be right back. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv and on local now, channel 525. 